Good morning, everybody. Talk about getting the big picture this morning. You know, if you've ever had a close-up view of something, you know, sometimes they have magazines and they have a picture and they're like, what is this? But it's magnified like a million times so you have no idea what you're looking at. And then they back up and they go, oh, here's the item. And then all of a sudden it makes sense. You know, life can be that way because we tend to get tunnel vision and we get so focused on whatever it is we're going through, not even that day or that hour. Sometimes it's that very minute or that period of 30 seconds. And there is a skill, there is an art, and there's a specific mindset that we need to develop to be able to take a step back and go, okay, what, what's the big picture here? What's really going on? You know, yesterday, a uh, few of us rode in the Ojai Valley Century. You know, my wife and uh, Joanna Fontenet rode 40 miles of it, and Scott Vance and Ron Grant and Norm Nicholas and myself uh, did the full century. So we rode from Ojai. If you're wondering, like, how far is 100 miles? Well, you start in Ojai, go to Montecito, ride to Ventura, then to Santa Paula, and then go back up to Ojai. So that's, that's a 100-mile ride. And so, you know, various points along that ride, you, you try and get out of the moment, and you want the big picture. Now, we, we had agreed upon ahead of time that we're going to ride together. You say, well, why do you ride together? Because depending on how you're feeling, you need the encouragement. You need the encouragement that the group offers. Um, On the stretch where we went from Montecito to Ventura, you know, we were along the ocean. And if you get in a line, they call it a drafting line, uh, the person in the front does about 30 to 40% more work because all the wind resistance is on them. And you tuck right behind the wheel of the person in front, about six inches to a foot behind. And then it just kind of pulls you along. So the four of us got in a line. And a couple of people added in. And we averaged about 24 miles for, uh, from Montecito to Ventura. So we were cranking right along. And that, that section was great. Uh, but it enables you to go faster as a group. And then what you do is you go to the front. And then you work hard. And then you get tired. And you peel off to the side. Then the group goes. And then you add in the back. And so... You know, you're just rotating. And so you appreciate being able to do that. Um, The final section from Santa Paula up to Ojai, if you've ever driven up the 150, you know it's about a nine, nine and a half mile hill uh, to get back to Ojai. And so, yeah, so that's where we needed the camaraderie. Uh, You know, because you're suffering together and you're just feeling like, gosh, you know, uh, at one point, one of the rest areas... There, there was a girl, she looked at my face, she goes, you need water? And I go, no, I need a push up the hill. And she just laughed, you know, no push. Um, but, you know, you think various things, sometimes you start thinking funny things. Um, they, they have, and I don't know what this stands for, but they call it a SAG stop, and it's basically a writer's aid station, and they give you, they give you food and water, and one of them they had free massages, Um, You know, there's medical help, there's bike help, you know, so whatever your needs are, they take care of you. And, uh, you know, they have about every 20, 25 miles. So, you know, we we had the one at 20 mile and then at 40 mile, you actually go out to Montecito and then on our way back to Ventura, you stop at the same one. And uh, Scott uh, was there 
And he goes, man, this looks so familiar. This looks just like the one that we stopped at at mile 20. And I go, Scott, it's the same place. It's Carpinteria Elementary School. And he goes, oh, he goes, when I was getting food, I told this lady, I go, I recognize you. You wrote on ahead to feed me again at the second stop. And she looked at me funny. And I said, yeah, now you know why. You know, it's like it was the same spot. Um, you know, so you start thinking funny things. And, and so the strength of the group, uh, you know, keeps you on the straight of narrow. You know, it's like we got up to the top right before Ojai and uh, you know, Norm got up to the top first, and then, uh, you know, Scott got up there second, and then Ron and I, we slugged it out together, and then we got up there uh, third and fourth, and so everybody waits for each other, and then we rode into Ohio as a group. Uh, you know, but it was, it's like you bond together, you suffer together, you help each other out along the way, but I can tell you so many different points along the way, it was a seven-hour ride, we were moving Six hours and 18 minutes it took us, average 16 miles an hour. That at any one moment, you're like, this is miserable. But if you take a step back, you go, okay, I can make it. You know, I got my buddies here. I got the goal in sight, you know, and you start breaking it down. Five more miles, ten more miles, whatever, you know, and, and you're able to do that. But if you just get lost in that one moment, you get tempted to quit. And our spiritual life is the same way that in a given moment of any given day, we can go through horrible stuff. We can go through challenging stuff. We can go through frustrating times, you know, and maybe it's with you. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your job or your school or your children or your parents. It can be anything. And if you just look at life with that snapshot, you go, I just feel like giving up. It's too hard. I don't think I can continue. You know, today's sermon is going to come from the book of Genesis. You can turn over to chapter 45. I've been studying out the book of Genesis for about seven months now. And, and these are some different highlights to me in the life of Joseph. You know, I like to boil down the lessons. What do I get from this? From Joseph, I, I, I just constantly came back to this. Get the big picture. Because Joseph went through just a whole bunch of lousy things in his life. But God had a bigger plan in mind for him. And in Genesis 45, what we're going to talk about is rising above. Now, when, Genesis, er, in, in, when Joseph was a teenager, his brothers were jealous of him, and there was some bad parenting going on, favoritism and things like that, coat of many colors. And Joseph came to check on them, and his brothers got mad. They were going to kill him. Then they decided we're going to sell him. Uh, you know, so they put him in a pit. Then they sold him to the Midianites, went to Egypt, was a slave, then got falsely accused of trying to mess with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar put him in jail again. You know, so, and then eventually, God elevates him because Pharaoh has two dreams about a seven-year time of abundance and then a seven-year time of unbelievable famine. And Joseph interprets those dreams. Pharaoh brings him out of jail, says, you're second in command. You're going to be in charge of everything. But he was, he was in jail. He was a slave. He was miserable for about 17 years. Well, the famine is going on, and his brothers... 
need to come to get food because his family's starving to death. They think he's dead. His dad Jacob thinks he's dead. And now they have to come to Egypt to get food. And this is their second visit. um, Joseph has already recognized them, and he's got some plans in place. And he wants to see his little brother, Benjamin. And now they come with Benjamin to get food. So that's the kind of the short version of what's happened before we get to chapter 45. So now his brothers are standing before him. Uh, They're coming for food. And in chapter 45, starting in verse 1, it says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt! Exclamation mark. I love these next words. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve uh, for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves. So can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I want you to imagine what the conversation would have looked like if you were Joseph. You know, it totally depends upon your ability to see the big picture. If you're like me, sometimes it goes like this and you're proud of yourself and the maturity that you handled it. You quickly were able to see the big picture. Sometimes if you're like me, the first part of the conversation is El Stinko. And there's a lot more of the, hey, you sold me into Egypt and I'm not very happy with you. And I hope you feel lousy about yourself. Because you hurt my feelings. You treated me wrong. 
You haven't taken care of me. You weren't brotherly. You weren't there when I needed you. And then a few months later down the road, you see the big picture and you're like, oh, God had a plan. And you kind of feel bad, like, wow, I'm sorry I viewed it that way. You know, Joseph was amazing. He let his brothers off the hook when they didn't deserve it at all. It wasn't like his brothers were like, hey, we're part of God's plan here. Let's make sure we sell our brother into slavery because we know God is going to save our family later by making him a slave. We're so happy to be a part of God's plan. No, they were horrible. They were unloving. They were mean. They were like, we don't like your success. We just want to get rid of you. Imagine the conversation when they went back to their dad, Jacob, saying, Hey, Jacob, look, man, we found the coat of many colors, and it's got blood all over it. And you watch the dad weep and mourn over the loss of your brother when you know full well he hasn't died at all. Imagine lying to your family about one of their family members dying. And letting them mourn just because you didn't like the person. You know, Joseph had an amazing heart. He said, what kind of church was Joseph a part of? It was Egypt. It wasn't doing very well. They didn't have any disciples in his ministry. He was isolated in slavery. You know, he tells the dreams uh, of the cupbearer and the baker. And I can't remember which one died and which one lived. But the one who lived didn't tell Pharaoh about Joseph. Leaves him in there for another couple years. Joseph had been through so much as a boy. And yet he had the heart to see the big picture. And he says in verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Got a question that all of us need to be able to answer in our heart. If God gave you a choice, he said, I got two paths for you. One of them will save people that you love dearly in the future. But in the immediate point of your life, you must suffer greatly to see that happen. Or you can have life awesome right here, right now, but you will not save the people you love. What will you choose? You know, when we hear it put in those terms, we go, no, no, no. I will do anything to save the ones I love, even if it means I go through hardship right now. I mean, I think all of us, I think it would be unanimous 
if we knew somehow getting cancer and dying at a young age would save one soul in our family, I think all of us would say, I'll take cancer now. If that person can be saved. See, the only problem is God doesn't tell you the benefit of your immediate suffering now. He says, you must trust me. But you know what we want when we're going through suffering? We want to know why. And God says, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, you'll find out later. But I'm not going to tell you now. Joseph had to wait 17 years before he figured out the why. How long are we willing to persevere to find out the answer to why? And if any moment Joseph had gotten bitter and stopped living out his personal righteousness, he could not have fulfilled the plan that God had for his life. You know, one of the biggest challenges I face and by the way, I don't know if I told you what point number one is, but rise above. Now, you know, see, I don't always tell you the why. You're going to have to find out later. Point number one is rise above. One of my biggest challenges to rise above is that I want to know now. Okay, I'll suffer now if I know why. And God says, no, I'm not telling you. You're going to have to wait. You see, because what God is saying is, I want to see if you're willing to rise above. And once I see you're willing, then I'll tell you the why. Say, where are you at in the process? I'm convinced of this. All of us are in this story somewhere. They say, well, life's actually going pretty good. I'm not suffering at all. Well, talk to me next week. Or next month, you never know. When everything's going good that week, that's awesome. But it's probably not going to stay that way. Do you see God working in your life? Or do you grow full of despair? Because we haven't found out the why. You see, when you get the big picture... You factor God into the equation, and you trust what he's doing. Remember, we all answered that question. Yes, I will take suffering in the immediate to work the benefit for people I love later in life. I'm giving us all the benefit of the doubt. If you're like, no way, I just want the immediate, well, sorry, I can't help you. But we won't find out the why until later. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to persevere? Will you keep going? Trusting that God has not only your best interests in mind, but the best interests of the greater good. 
And if your suffering can bring about the greater good, then God says, oh yeah, we're going to take that path. Jesus would never have gone to the cross if all he wanted was immediate benefit. He didn't even need the cross. He had no sins to forgive. The whole heart of the cross of Christ is the willingness to suffer now for the benefit of others later. We've got to be willing to rise above. Point number two, we need to keep sacrificing. So the brothers go back and they tell their dad, Joseph's alive. And his, and his dad is just stunned, doesn't know what to think, but excited and, and goes back. And we pick it up in chapter 46, verse 1 to 4. So Israel, that was his new name, you know, after he wrestled with the angel, uh, Jacob became Israel. Set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Man, God tells him amazing things when? After he made the sacrifice. Now, I want you to think about Jacob. For 17 years, his favorite son he thought was dead. He was sad. Earlier, he was like, My life's going to be miserable the rest of it. And now all of a sudden, he finds out Joseph is alive and he's going down to Egypt. And God, God reassures him. He says, don't be afraid. I'm going to go down with you. I will be with you in Egypt. And I will come back with you. He says, not only that, when you die, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Now, do you ever wonder, are my sacrifices worth it? Does it make a difference? You know, when I, when I give the weekly contribution, when I give the special contribution, when I sacrifice of my time, when I sacrifice my talents, does it really make a difference? Does God even know? Does God even pay attention? Oh, yeah, he does. And you know what's amazing? Nobody commanded Jacob to make this sacrifice. This wasn't one of the required rituals for the Jewish lifestyle. He just did it. And after he made the sacrifice, God said, Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. You know, I think all of us would have no problem making willing sacrifices if we heard the voice of God beforehand. Oh, God's with me. Yeah, that fires me up. I want to honor him. You see, God has a habit of waiting until the sacrifice. And then he comes and he talks to us. You know, sometimes 
we can reach that point where we go, I've done enough. I've given enough. I've sacrificed enough. Now I want God to work first. And then I'll keep sacrificing. You know, Jacob had made sacrifices his whole life. But it was after this one, one that wasn't commanded, that God came and talked to him. So how are you doing in your heart? Are you a giver? Or have you decided, no, I want God to give if I'm going to keep going. I was having a, a, a talk with a brother earlier in the week about a, a book they were reading and how, how the whole point is, is that our relationship with God grows distant if we're only in it for the blessings. If we're only attached to God for what he gives us, it becomes a self-serving relationship. It's, it's not about the relationship anymore. You see, where God wants us is where it's just about Him. What God gives us is icing on the cake. But what satisfies us is just being connected to Him. Is God enough? Or are we just in it for the blessings? You say, well, I don't feel connected to God the way I used to. Well, what are you in it for? You know, God did not create us because we're such a great return on investment. You know, we're not going to pay him back. We're not going to do enough to earn our salvation. It's never going to happen. Not even close. God created us. God created you simply to be able to love you. That's all, that's all he wants is that relationship with you. Nothing more. He's so fired up to be connected to you. Is that how you feel about him? That when, you, when you're connected with God, you keep sacrificing. Because it's about the relationship. Then point number three is widen your view. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love kind of this section here because I, I relate to it. Uh, you can write down this verse. Don't turn there. But Hebrews 11, verse 6, I'll quote it for you. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that's where we stop. I believe God exists. I have faith. So he must be happy with me. Now, that's not where the verse stops. It says, must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, when we're narrow-minded, we stop at the believe God exists. And God says, no, 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 don't forget about the reward part. I want to reward you. 
I want to bless you. I want to give you all kinds of good things. Now, uh, let's back up to uh, chapter 45. Because, uh, you know, Pharaoh finds out that Joseph's, you know, brothers are there. And, you know, Pharaoh's fired up about it. And, and look at the plan that Pharaoh comes up with. Uh, verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Now, this is Pharaoh. What's his plan? This is Joseph. Bring your dad. Bring your brothers. Make it quick. Tell them, don't worry about your stuff, because I'm going to give them even better stuff. They're going to have the best. They're going to get the best of the land. They're going to get the fat of the land. You know, they weren't into counting, counting fat grams back in Egypt. Fatty was good. Still is. That's right. See, that, that, that was his, his plan. Say, so, well, how, did, how did Jacob respond? Go to chapter 46. Verse 5. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father, Jacob, and their children, and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. Oh, he's doing what Pharaoh told him to do, right? Read the next verse. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Okay, now what did Pharaoh tell him to bring? He said, bring the people. Don't worry about your stuff. It's not important. Because when you get here, I'm going to set you up with even better things. What did Jacob do? He brought all his possessions along with him. You know why it's so much easier to pack for a trip than it is to move from one house to another? Because you got a lot more stuff when you got to bring everything. It takes a lot longer. There's a lot more boxes. You know, and it's a lot easier to put stuff into a box and into a truck than when you get to the new place and it's shaped differently than the old place. You know, and you pack everything and it's got its place and then you have those final few boxes where it's just random stuff. So you got like five boxes marked miscellaneous. And at the time, you're like, fine, just open the box and just like the way your kids clean their bedrooms, you know, just in that drawer. Yes, it's clean to the, the eye. But then you have to unpack the miscellaneous box. And there's all this random stuff together. And you're like, 
why do we put this all in one box? We got a little that goes in this room and a little that goes in, you know, isn't it so much nicer to just leave on a trip and you just bring the clothes that you need in your toiletries and you throw it in a suitcase and you leave and you're like, this is awesome. This didn't take hardly any time at all. You see, God says, where you're going, I'm going to set you up. Don't worry about your stuff. And you know what we do? We're just like Jacob. It wasn't the command wasn't clear. We're like, no, no, no. I got to bring all my stuff with me. God's like, why? Ephesians says, I give you every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know why we bring all our stuff with us in our Christianity? In case we get down the road and find out God gave us the shaft. Then we got our stuff. Is it because God's promises aren't clear? Now, I know he says we get every spiritual blessing. I know he says he's always going to be with me. I know heaven's going to be amazing, but just in case, I've got to take all my stuff with me. And all that stuff, it just slows down the journey. You know, Bible doesn't tell us how many days extra it took because they brought their stuff. But do you ever wonder what we forfeit because we missed out on a great opportunity because we were late, because we were bringing all our stuff? What stresses you out in your life? Is it eternal things or is it your stuff? You know what I find out in my life? It's our stuff. We had a Bible talk this week in our singles Bible talk. And we we talked about Colossians 3. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your mind and your heart on things above, not on earthly things. What's earthly things? Your stuff. You know, Paul says, since you become a Christian, since you've been raised with Christ, it should affect how you live. It should affect how we think. There are practical implications that are expected because we're Christians. It means we shouldn't get hung up on earthly things. They shouldn't stress us out. You know why? Because it's just stuff. God's going to give us better stuff when we get there. But do you believe it? You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is more than just, does God exist? Do you really believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? I don't know if we're headed to Egypt anytime soon, but do you really believe he's got better things waiting? Like I often wonder, do you think Pharaoh was insulted? Like I told you, you were going to get the best. Why'd you you bring all your stuff? You brought all your ratty stuff. I've got way better. 
Like, you ever wonder, you know, God must chuckle. Like, we're dragging our stuff along. God's like, man, come on. I want you over here because you're going to impact lives. You're going to change so much. It's going to be amazing. You're like, I can't get there because uh, all this stuff's really heavy. Need more gas money, a bigger truck, more packers, more unloaders. It's just more resources required. God probably just laughs, shakes his head and says, when will they ever learn? So do you have the big picture? Because sometimes you just got to take a step back and, and see what God's trying to do. If you're getting stressed, you're too focused on something small. God still came through for Jacob and his family. I said, yeah, you get to live in Goshen. You can live in the best part of the land. And you know what? By the way, if any of your family members got extra good shepherding ability, have them take care of my sheep and livestock. Pharaoh said, man, I'm going to put you to work. You're going to do great things. It's going to be awesome. God's promise came true. He said, Jacob, I'm going to make you into a great nation in Egypt. About 430 years later, we remember Moses leading them out and through the Red Sea for God to make that group into his people. Let's get the big picture. God has great things in store for our life. And they're happening right now. You go, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, but that's okay because immediate suffering is going to benefit somebody else. Hang in there. You may feel like you're on the nine-mile hill back up to Ojai. The hill isn't going to last forever. Hang in there. You'll get there. You know, I don't know what stage of the journey you're at right now. But I do know this. God loves you. And God has great things in store. I really pray for each one of us that we'll fight hard to get God's perspective on what's going on in our life. And so I don't get it. Well, God doesn't always tell us why. But a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now, we're going to look back and go, oh, now I see what he was doing. Let's get the big picture and let's keep it as we live our Christian life. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.